Well, hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Odalis. I'm part of the pastoral team here at Cornerstone SF. What a joy it is to get to share this time together. Uh, we have the holiday with the fourth this week. So I know some of us are taking some extended time to vacation and get away a little bit. Others taking the day to rest, reset at home, maybe spend time with friends or family. But from wherever you are for whatever you're doing this week, you're welcome here. And you know, you're not just welcome here. You are wanted here. You know, our whole heart in our community is creating an environment where we can encounter the Lord, where we can uh, hear his voice through the scriptures, where we can honor and acknowledge him in worship, where we can meet with him in prayer. And to do this together, connected in this unique online space. And, you know, we're, we're doing that even through things like our Bible reading plan, going through the New Testament in 128 days. And I want to invite you, if you have not started, it's not too late. You have not fallen so far behind. Just jump in. You can get it online. We've got a page that has all the instructions for where to get it uh, and how to just jump in and, and, and keep track with where you're at. Just start with today's reading. Don't worry about what you missed. You can read that after or catch up along the way when you have some spare moments. But just start with today's reading, eight to 15 minutes tops per day and we'll read through the New Testament and get to meet with the Lord. It's not about just adding another box to check on our list for the day, but in order to receive anything, we need to create room for it. If our hands are full, how are we going to take something else? If we want to receive God, it's about creating that space to, to, to receive him, to meet with him. Um, and that it, that's also where um, we're going to spend our time here together in looking at our hearts, in looking at uh, where we're at, not just what we're into this week or excited for this afternoon, but to use some of the language of the scripture, what are the affections of our hearts? By nature, we have divided and scattered hearts, right? We can be aimless or ambitious for fleeting things. Our affections are often fickle and distracted. But when we start living the word, when we allow the word to live in us, to affect us and change us, we become more whole from the heart on outward. And I'm really excited for what we're going to get to share together. I would just love to pray before we dive in. Would you join me? Our Lord God, we thank you for your word for your living word, God, which is such a gift to us, Lord. As we, um, as we spend this time together, we invite you, Father, to, to speak, Lord. We pray for you to guide our attention here in this space, to help us to focus, to lay aside our distractions, what we have coming up later, or even, you know, what we have going on right now, but to just lay them before you and to focus on your voice, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be spending time in Psalm 86. And before we do anything else, I just want to read through it. We're not going to do the whole thing, uh, but we'll read through together here from verse one. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among all the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. 
Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. I will glorify your name forever, for great is your steadfast love toward me. You've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. When I read the psalm in preparing for today, it reminded me of a significant season in my life, which I'll share on a bit later. It was a defining time where in hindsight, I can see how God moved in my divided and restless heart to show me who he is and to root me steadfastly in him. It has made me so, so, so grateful for his word and for this psalm in particular that we get to share together. You see, the psalm, this, this prayer in song form is rich. It's rooted in knowing God and desiring a life aligned with him. As the psalmist cries out in his need, he's declaring he knows God's character. He knows that God responds to those in need, that God is unique. He's the only true God, the only true power. And in the Lord, the psalmist finds his peace. And part of what's so beautiful about that is that as he's declaring his need, there's this shift around verse 11, which is where we'll spend most of our time. Um, right? He spends these first seven verses going, help me, God, help me, God, help me, God. And man, as a side note, that prayer, that's a, that's a powerful prayer for us. Just help me, God. He cries for help and then he shifts. He acknowledges who God is. Not that God needs the reminder, but David does, the psalmist does. That there's none like God. And wonderful are his works. And then, and then this pause again. It's almost like he's saying, you know, as he moves through these verses, God, I need help. God, I know you can help me. But right now, let me put myself in a position to be helped. The Lord will always respond to the cry of the one who acknowledges who he is. And often part of God's response to us is an invitation for us to engage him. Not just God come and do something in my life, but God, how can I come before you and turn my heart, my attention toward you? And then, so then we arrive at that 11 verse, right? David writes, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. He's basically setting aside whatever is the problem in his life that brought him to prayer. He hasn't even mentioned it. It comes later in the verses that we're not reading. He sets it aside. He's at this place of desperation. He needs help, but he pauses and shifts and asks, God, please work in my heart that I can do right by you. Have you ever had a moment where you need something from someone or you, you have a question, you need help, whatever it is, and it's in remembering that need <clears throat> that you remember you dropped the ball on something before? I'll go first. Um, sometimes I realize that I have not uh, texted a person back or answered their question until I think of them because I want to check in and say hi or ask them a question or get help or set something up or whatever. And I open that text message thread and there's, there's the text. Just, I just either didn't respond at all or worse. It feels worse when I have that text half written and I just didn't send it. And so then my simple question turns into this string of apology and part explanation and then part, I really value you. And then part, oh, by the way, I have this question, whatever it is, right? Um, there's something reminiscent here, right? To this shift in approach. And I got to say, I appreciate David's approach a whole lot more than mine. In preparing to make his request, David checks his heart before the Lord and he asks, unite my heart. It's beautiful in its humility. And it so wonderfully represents truly putting God first. Hard work requires humility. And it inspires me around this question of our own hearts. Uh, uh, to, to sit and ask, you know, are our hearts divided? And what ways are they? 
What are the things that just pull us in multiple directions? And, and often this is the thing is, these are often good things. You know, it's, it's I, I have to do this, but I wanna do that. And doing the thing I have to is good because of X, Y, and Z, but I wanna do that. And, and, I, and I have this longing and it's just unfulfilled and I'm waiting and I, I'm not, you know, all these things, right? We get pulled in all these directions, right? With our friendships. Um, we just don't have enough time always, right? Have you, I didn't realize as a kid that adulthood, so much of it was schedules and calendars and oh, I'm free in maybe three weeks, you know? A romance, you know, to just feel loved, to have that, that you know, that goal we're longing for or, 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 or loneliness, you know, and finding, finding the remedy for that loneliness in our lives. Sometimes it's our sense of purpose, you know, I. I gotta work, I got bills to pay, right? Our finances. But really I wanna do this, or well, this is just paying the bills so it's fine for now and I'm not sure what I wanna do later. Or some of us are just so driven, driven by our dreams and ambitions that we just, everything else just, it just pulls at us, right? Are we at odds even with people? Maybe conflict in our friendships and families or, or, or in, our, in, our, in our workplaces, in the business world. Some of us have this sense of, of almost being at odds with God or, or like there's this misalignment. You know, I, I don't know if I fit. It's just, we're just pulled. There is a remedy for us. There is a reality where all of that division within us is rectified. And it is found in a simple place in the scriptures. This living word of God. It's the most relevant guide for our lives. Like no extent of AI chat prompt training will get us better answers for that hunger in our souls, that craving that drives us. And so this 11 verse is where we're going to sit and explore this together. We'll break it into those three parts. First, teach me your way, O Lord. Psalm 86 models a genuine desire for God's influence and impact on the psalmist's life. And it also models how intricately woven a knowledge of the scriptures are to that process, right? We, we like, like David in the first few verses, we want God to move. We want God to show up in our lives, to see him at work. We want to fuel our belief with experience to have a testimony of, man, God did this in my life. I was here. He did that. Now I'm here, right? We want God to move in our lives, to have his influence and impact in our lives. And the psalmist expresses that, but woven through the psalmist, appeal is something very powerful. The psalm reflects a life knowing God and desiring him through experience and through the word itself. There are countless quotes of other parts of the scripture. There are references to other things that have happened that would be known by those who know the scriptures, other psalms, proverbs, the law. So this, it's this really wonderful picture, it's this, uh, this educating picture almost, of prayer that's informed by the word being planted deep in the heart. And so we in, when we invite the Lord to teach us his way, as this, the first part of verse 11 says, we get freed up from our myopic view of our circumstances, right? So often we lose the forest for the trees, this desire, that thing. Sometimes it's not even just the one tree. It's this little patch of forest and I am just so stuck and tunneled in. I can't see. We get connected to the bigger picture 
of not just what God can do, but who he is and who he is making us to be. We, when we learn his way, teach me your way, O Lord. We learn through scripture and through prayer and through service and through community, through ordering our lives in a way that enables us to pay attention and respond, not just to our singular focus, but to, to, to the larger whole of who God is, which informs who we are. And then we respond and the best response, teach me your way, O Lord, is the next part that I may walk in your truth. When the scriptures teach about uh, walking in something, like here, walking in your truth, there's more to this than just physical steps. It's speaking fundamentally about what drives a person. What is their ultimate guide in life? We see this a lot in the scriptures that talk about walking in integrity, walking in the light of God's face. How beautiful is that? Walking uh, in the way of righteousness, walking in the fear of the Lord, which we'll talk about later as well. Walking in love, right? How would we maybe define ourselves in this? If we had a blank, you know, insert your name here, walks in blank. So Odalis walks in blank. What would it be? What would that word be for us? What is our, that, that, that driving force in our lives? My husband, Andrew, is a person who walks in service. When there is a need, he fills it. No questions asked, aside from logistical ones. Um, no concern for what he's going to get out of it. If somebody needs help, he's there. He helped me move, he's helped me move maybe four or five times. And for at least two of these, not only were we not dating, so he wasn't like helping his girlfriend or his fiance or his wife, okay? We were not even, like there was nothing. We were not pursuing each other. We were not interested in, there was no, oh, let me help this girl that I'm, you know? And I wasn't asking like, oh, let me, let me get this guy to come and help. Like, nada. He just, he just helped. It's not to mention of how I have seen that aspect of his character flourish in fatherhood. He helps oversee our setup and teardown team at our Reardon campus, right? We, we wouldn't have church without this team. It's, it's unseen largely, but they serve with just love and laughter and connecting with each other to create a space for us to have church. It's the service before the service in many ways. We may know people who um, walk in hospitality. Have you ever walked in somebody's house and you just feel like you're at home yourself? Or maybe we know people who, uh, and I can certainly think of several in our church, many in our church, who, are, who walk in devotion to Jesus. Right? It's a beautiful thing to just ooze that love. But sometimes this walking in, it's not um, always sort of the net positive. It has more difficult aspects to it as well. Right? Those who maybe walk in apathy for a season or a long time. There may be many reasons why they've come to that that way of walking in life, circumstances within and outside of control, but motivation and meaning have become strangers. What about uh, those who walk in ambition? Like there is nothing getting in my way. Nothing is going to stop me from achieving my goals. I will do whatever it takes. Maybe some of us know some people like that. I also read a perspective on uh, those who walk in pride where a person's essential driving force is an exaggerated view of themselves, The only influence in their life is themselves. The scriptures use the language of walking in darkness, right? Some people trapped in, in addictions, in patterns, in behaviors, uh, sometimes, often, more than anybody ever sees, whether it's a substance or behaviors or stuff online, whatever it is, right? To walk in his truth, to walk in God's truth is something else entirely and something that remedies that 
that, that, that disconnect in us, the way that other things have gotten a hold of us. We all, no matter if we've been following the Lord for decades or we're only just getting started or for some of us, we're just not even still sure about it. We all have ways we've deviated from walking in this truth. We're, we're scattered and spread out. We have pieces of our heart that are not united. Instead, it's almost like the, 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 the uh, repelling ends of a magnet, right? Just, just it feels like, I, well, I might try, but it just doesn't go anywhere. We have a thirst for something more real, more steady, a thirst for peace and solace. Those who live the word inevitably pursue a radically transformative life where over time, as we walk in his way, we become defined by the goodness of God rather than the brokenness or failure that plague us. We become more whole. We become more focused on others, putting our talents to use for their benefit or instead of hiding it or just focused on ourselves. We become more attentive to the guiding voice, that sweet inner voice of love softens our speech and increases our patience. We choose what stretches us, even though sometimes it causes discomfort because that's what grows us to become more like Christ. We experience the presence of God through his truth, through the word, and this changes how we walk out our lives. When we open ourselves to God teaching us his truth, we find that he will respond and do a transformative work in our hearts. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart, God. On this verse, renowned pastor and author Charles Spurgeon wrote, um, I love the visual. We can picture it as, as we read this together. Our minds are apt to be divided between a variety of subjects, like trickling streams, which waste their force in a hundred runnels. Our great desire should be to have all our life floods poured into one channel and have that channel directed toward the Lord alone. God, who created the bands of our nature, can draw them together, tighten, strengthen, fasten them, and so braced and inwardly knit by his uniting grace, we shall be more powerful for good, but not otherwise. I love this. We get these two visuals, the hundred runnels, these streams, right? Rather than one consistent, steady force that will carve a channel in any rock, no matter how stable, right? Just carves its way through just powerful movement to be spread out in a bunch of different directions. Like how over a longer period of time, maybe there'll be an impact, but nothing quite like, like what he says to have all our life floods poured into one channel and that channel directed towards Lord. Cause he's the one who channels it all together. Right, and God who created us, who can not only brace us right from the outside to support us up, but works internally, works in the very fiber of our beings to knit us together by his grace, inside and outside, reflected and moving forward with singular purpose. Not just that we only do one thing, we only pray and read the Bible and go to church. That's not what he's talking about. But it's to shift our, the direction of our lives in the way that we are most fruitful, most powerful, because we're with God in that. How can we think about this single-mindedness of purpose, right? Because there's no wiggle room in unite my heart to fear your name. It's not, he's not saying, well, God, make me a little bit more consistent or a little bit more disciplined. He's saying, unite my heart, the whole inner being, unite me. Gather up the loose corners and divided attention, the, the fixation on the wrong things or just the distraction of too many things. Unite my heart 
with a singular purpose. Um, honestly, I thought of what I hope is a really great example, um, but I have to preface it because this is pop culture. It's from pop culture and not from the scripture. So we're going to take it with a grain of salt, okay? Um, prefaced. <laughs> Disclaimer. Uh, listen, Tom Cruise is probably one of the most single-minded people with a unified focus in all of Hollywood right now. Maybe in all of Hollywood ever. I don't know. I don't have the perspective, okay? And I, I also should say in hindsight, I think last time I got to share, I talked about the new Top Gun movie and I should clarify, I'm not some Tom Cruise fangirl, okay? I love a good action movie. I want to know deep down, not worried about the, the good guys. Like they're gonna survive, they're gonna win. Good will triumph over evil. You know, in Mission Impossible, you're never really worried about Ethan Hunt, Tom Cruise's character. You're not really worried about him, you know, dying or anything or losing whatever, because there'd be no franchise without him, right? So you know he's gonna be okay. Okay, focus. I was reading last week about uh, this insane stunt in the upcoming Mission Impossible movie. I, I thought it was crazy. He was hanging on to a moving plane in one of the previous movies because he's got to do his own stunts. He climbed the outside of that building, I think in real life. Okay, it turns out he has a stunt he's wanted to do since he was a child that they are building the entire movie around. The director was quoted essentially saying, yeah, we're doing this stunt and then we're figuring out why this character needs to do the stunt and building the movie, the story of the movie around it. We're going to show an image. Uh, Tom Cruise has decided to ride a motorcycle off a ramp, off a cliff in Norway of all places, where all of a sudden he is now base jumping and parachutes himself to safety. Like this is peak Tom Cruise. Okay, he has spent his entire career crafting himself into the perfect action star. There is no one like him in this industry. He has so succeeded in that goal that his career is now to a point where he builds the movie of a major franchise based on a stunt he's wanted to do since childhood. Okay, it's, it's no walk in the park. We're not gonna minimize it either. He spent, I think it was a year training, 30 skydives a day to do over 500 skydives. He did uh, like 12, 13,000 motocross jumps in order to perfect that skill as well. Listen, I went skydiving once and it took the whole day and I, I loved it, I loved it. But I also was not just, you know, swinging back in line to get back up on the plane and jump again the same day. You know, once was enough for now, maybe in the future. Um, I rode a motorcycle for 10 years before we started our family and never once jumped it. Didn't want to. Two wheels on the ground, except for, you know, learning how to ride, maybe popped it just on accident, learning the clutch. Okay, I also feel very content in not combining these two activities. But no, Tom Cruise rides off a cliff six times in a day to make sure they got the perfect shot. Shout out to the crew who had to clean up every piece of debris from the motorcycle. Anyway, okay, this is, this is Tom Cruise and a lot of wonderful crew creating a movie. Uh, it's, it's something entertaining, but this isn't something that's going to last. It'll fade over time. And realistically, it's not something even he's going to be able to continue doing for too much longer. The good news, friends, is that we don't need to be Tom Cruise or even King David to be people with a unified focus, with driven attentiveness toward what's good, with power to move in a way that is good and true and beautiful. This is what God does in our lives. 
Isaiah 26 reads, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. The scripture's way of talking about what's, what's permanent from our limited human perspective. What's more permanent than the ground we're standing on if we're trying to come up with an illustration for God, right? The everlasting rock. Trust in him, not these things that are fleeting. Colossians 3, since, you, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. If we can make it a priority that God will unify our hearts, we will find, like the psalmist does, the answer to our every longing. We'll lock into the rhythm of our purpose. Our gifts will flourish. We will find the presence of God at each step of the way, guiding us, empowering us by his spirit, leading us. Unite my heart to fear your name. So what does it mean then to fear the Lord? It's not about literal fear. We're not talking about being afraid of God. Scriptures teach us he is a good father. Yes, he is mighty. He is perfectly righteous and a good father and tender. This is about living in reverence. It's about honoring God. It's recognizing whose presence we are in when we can turn to prayer, the drop of a hat. Whose presence are we entering? It's not a distant foreign deity. It's not the universe. It's not chance but an almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing God who makes himself known to us through Jesus. God himself walked the earth as human to show us the love of God. It's about being in awe of him and living in a way that reflects that. And this is our connection. Our wayward, wandering, divided, distracted hearts, united in the fear of the Lord, we find our center. We find our meaning, we find our hope, we find our home. When we have the affection and attention of our hearts fixed firmly on the Lord. That's what it means to live the word. I know what it's like to struggle and wrestle with a divided and restless and unsettled heart. I mentioned earlier how this psalm just reminds me of what God has done in my life. For years, I dealt with this. Honestly, I still do sometimes. Um, You know, I had started to come to church and started to get involved. I felt something about God start to draw me in, something that resonated in my heart. But for the life of me, I couldn't figure out what I actually wanted or what was even really true. You know, I was going through a lot. I was continually grieving the loss of my dad. Um, I had basically no friends. I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. I I just didn't know. I felt something in church, but when I was alone, which was a lot, I would wonder where it went. You know, was it just emotion, just sort of getting caught up in the moment? Or was, was there a realness to the connection with other people? Or was it just, you know, a product of convenience and doing tasks together? You know, I really struggled to find peace in any direction. I wanted in and I also wanted out. It was a loneliness to being around married people, um, an odd loneliness around people who are happy, uh, kind of an ache in seeing healthy families. I was just this longing for whatever it was that people had that made them seem so grounded, so sure of their faith, so full of life and purpose. 
And it wasn't until I committed to reading the scriptures for myself that things started to change. I just so vividly remember this moment. I was like, I'm trying to follow God. I don't even know who God is. I don't know what he's like. I don't know, you know, I want him to speak to me, to tell me what to do. I don't know what his, I don't know what his voice sounds like. I started to read the scriptures and slowly, 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 things changed. God opened my heart and my mind to his word. I asked questions from people further along than me. I read a couple of books that talked about who God really is. I kept reading. I read the whole Bible in a year and I have never gone back. God used the scriptures to mend my deeply divided heart. And it doesn't take any kind of stranging, there's any kind of training. There's, there's nothing so strange or unique about my story. Honestly, we have the tool right in front of us. For some of us, it's in our hands right now. We have access to the scriptures. The Bible app is free and has planned for like topics that you can sit and read about each day on every subject under the sun. Everything we wrestle with, someone else has wrestled through it. And there's this resource that we have right on our phones that is designed to bring us to the place that have answers, right? The phone doesn't have the answers, but the scriptures do. If we want what God is offering us, if we want a unified heart, deep peace, healing from our wounds in life, purpose and hope to give meaning to our days, help in times of trouble, joy in every circumstance, belonging in a world that is just so fraught with fear and isolation and anxiety and just lies. We have it right in front of us. We need only to respond, to pray as David did. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And in a moment, the band is going to close us with a song that's called Only Jesus, which declares just what Jesus gives us, what he does for us, in us, through us, for those who seek him for those who call on his name, for those who choose to be planted with his word in their hearts to put in first. May we find our center in only Jesus. In our moments of division and discord internally and externally, let that struggle lead us to lean on only Jesus. May we live in reverence to the only name that brings beauty and goodness, the only name that can save the name of Jesus. As we seek him, may we find our hearts united in a loving, awestruck reverence to walk in his way and bring us a life lived in the way of only Jesus. Lord God, we ask for you to do exactly what the psalm did, what the psalm prays. And if we're comfortable, we'll pray it out loud from wherever we are. We'll pray that verse 11. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. We pray this in the only name, in the name of Jesus. We pray these things. Amen.
You're a difference maker. And when we allow you into our lives, when we let you work through your words and through your presence inside, it works its way outward. And I'm so glad that the Lord loves us and works with us and he's patient with us. And you need to hear it, but you're so loved. God's on our side. He's for us, not against us. And we have Jesus as living proof. I, I want to remind all of you of this truth because sometimes we can forget that. We get caught up in the things that are going on around us, the tension of this world, the anger, the polarization, and the confusion. But the Lord wants us to find our safe place in Him. And that is my prayer for you and for myself as well. Lord, keep us all in the center of your will because in the center of your will is the safest place in all the world. Yeah, it really is. So I pray for your blessing even now in every way in Jesus' name.